Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening where we are set to continue our reflections into the book of Genesis. We are in chapter 28, and chapter 28 really does afford us to talk about arguably a top three image, if you will, lasting image in all of the book of Genesis. If it is not the Garden of Eden, if it is not Noah's Ark, it is Jacob's Ladder. Now, before we get into chapter 28, I did want to first just continue to uh, thank all of you who take time out of your very busy schedules to join me here in the friendly confines of Chico, California, in this humble radio station, from this humble radio station, KKXX. Um, as I reflect, I am mindful that uh, there are many of you listening and taking notes and reflecting with those notes the emails I get come out of just not what I'm talking about, but also what you're experiencing. So I know often I, I say I'm going to bring your questions to the radio station or your questions on air, and I do do that just not on Thursday, but as they are applicable to subject matter in Genesis, I will do my best to talk about them within the stream of what we talk about in the book of Genesis. But I am also sensitive that a number of your questions as they come out of your experiences and your own reflections and your note-taking, that uh, those are to remain private. So be rest assured, I know one of you out there had asked the question, if I ask this question, can it stay personal? Of course it can, and of course it will. So I just want all of you to understand that if you are asking me a personal question, please be rest assured, I would never take that personal question to air. It really is more about maybe a question that is applicable to uh, what I am saying or what I am talking about, or maybe if I'm reading from some commentary, what the commentary is saying or what the commentary is after. So anyhow, I just wanted to make that explicitly clear before we dive into this all-important subject matter, uh, Jacob's Ladder. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start with Genesis chapter 28, verse 10 here, and I will just read it through the conclusion of the chapter, which brings us to, to verse 22. So verse 10, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed that there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie. I will give to you and to your descendants, and your descendants shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And by you and your descendants shall all the families of the earth bless themselves. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go 
and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done that of which I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. <laughs> One of my favorite verses in, in all of the Old Testament. I love that. How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took the stone which he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give the tenth to you. Ooh, a lot there. Now, you probably hear a lot of themes that we have already talked about, and what this evening will do is certainly give us the opportunity to talk about some of those themes again within the context of Jacob. But before we get to that, certainly I think what we have before us is the need to discuss uh, what's going on here with Jacob's dream and more specifically his journey, right? So on his journey to Padan Aram, as it was spoken to earlier, Jacob was accompanied only by his staff. We read that in, in uh, chapter 32, verse 10 his staff, and his thoughts. Now, it would not seem difficult to speculate with fair accuracy as to what these thoughts were about. Surely, he must have considered the wisdom of his actions in deceiving his father, whether he should have or, or should not have. He probably compared his expectations in this plot with the outcome of it. Maybe he, he was guilty at the thought of his treatment of his brother and father. He undoubtedly grieved at having to leave his mother. We know that for sure. There were a whole host of things he would have been thinking about. But whatever his thoughts must have been, and all we are really left with is speculation to some degree, his self-assurance, we know, was probably at an all-time low. So, this was the ideal time for God to break into his life. For now, Jacob knew how much he needed God in order to be blessed as his father had been. Recall, my friends, how we talked about this in the context of Elijah, right? Where it was when Elijah was at an all-time low, when his ego was being kicked around, that God came riding in, huh? When we are down to nothing, God is always up to something. That's the wisdom of the first beatitude. That's the wisdom of blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Because when you are down to nothing, you possess the kingdom of God. Because God is always up to something. God is always up to transform in you more and more into his image and likeness. The more we hold on, grab at things of the material world, the less we have of God. The less we have of God. This is first and foremost in the spiritual life. All right, as it relates to Jacob, 
the night <laughs> clearly seems to, to have overtaken him before he arrived at the city of Lutz, right? Now, the city gates would have been closed for the night, so Jacob, as shepherds customarily did, slept under the stars. So as we read, he found a suitable spot, took a stone from nearby, and propped himself up for the night. And so as he falls asleep, he has this awe-inspiring vision. A ladder reaching from heaven to earth with angels ascending and descending upon it. And again, here, not a ladder with rungs, but more of a stairway. Okay? A stairway going up and down. And above this ladder was God, who spoke these words to him. I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac, the land on which you will lie. I will give it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants shall also be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done whatever I have promised you. I love those verses, chapter 28, verses 13 to 15. By the way, while I'm thinking about it, why do we have altars that are shaped in rectangle? Because the four corners represent the four corners of the earth, right? One corner reaching out to the farthest northern spot. One corner reaching out to the farthest southern spot. One corner reaching out to the farthest western spot. One corner reaching out to the farthest eastern spot. All four corners reaching out. Why? Because the altar is the place where God dwells. The center of the earth, as Ezekiel 38, 12 says. Important to kind of note that. All right, so the words here spoken to Jacob are very similar to previous declarations to Abraham and Isaac, right? Essentially, this pronouncement of blessing is one that very much confirms that, that God is acting in and through this great covenant figure, that Jacob is one that will continue the great line of just not Adam and Noah, but certainly Abraham and Isaac, these great covenant um, patriarchs. What's more, Jacob perceives the significance of the place. For he immediately narrowed his thinking to the awesomeness of the place. We read in verse 16, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. By the way, in verse, what was it, uh, 19, he called the name of that place Bethel. Bethel in Hebrew means what but house of God house of God. So he says in verse 17, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Now let's hit the pause button here to consider what is going on with this word awesome. What does the word awesome mean? Well, listen to the word itself, awesome. If you were to go to any dictionary, you will see the word translated something like what is expressive in awe or inspiring awe, we define awe, that is A-W-E, as an emotion, 
variously combining dread, veneration, maybe even wonder that is inspired by authority or by the sacred or by the sublime. This is what is awesome. Awesome is always caught up. That is the word awesome is always caught up in what inspires this various combination of dread, veneration, and wonder inspired by the sacred, inspired by the sublime. What does this sound like, by the way? What did we talk about recently? But the spiritual gift of fear, that deep reverence for God that awakens the soul to our childlike spirit as it assists us in realizing our own poverty of heart. In effect, it is recognizing our moral weakness and our subsequent need for God. This is what that spiritual gift of the fear of the Lord is all about. That sincere and, and reverential feeling that a person experiences before the tremendous majesty of God. Especially, as we touched upon it last week, when one reflects upon his or, or her own infidelity and the danger of being found wanting before God at our time of judgment. The time that no one will escape. So what's going on here? Well, the believer goes and places himself before God with a contrite spirit and a humble heart, knowing well that he must await his own salvation with fear and trembling. This is the beautiful gift of the fear of the Lord. And this is what awesomeness is all about. So we use the word awesome to describe many things and many people. Boy, that uh, roller coaster was totally awesome, right? LeBron James, Michael Jordan, all of these superstars, they are awesome, and to, to some degree, I get it because they inspire awe. But brothers and sisters, when you apply it to anything or anyone other than God himself, it is a limited application of that word awesome. Because when you talk about what is truly awesome, awesome, right? Awe, inspiring that reverential feeling, you are talking about one's disposition before God, one's disposition before the sacred and the sublime. So when Jacob <laughs> has this dream, what does he say in verse 17? How awesome is this place, this place that inspires this various combination of dread, veneration, and wonder that is inspired by God himself. This must be, Jacob proclaims, none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Note that he combines the phrase house of God with the gate of heaven. If we have time, we'll talk about that more later, if not tomorrow. So let's make sure that we are using the word awesome in its appropriate context, which for all intents and purposes always should have the context of God, right? Always should have the context of God. Yeah, I get it. There are things out there that inspire us to <laughs> say, boy, that was awesome, or, or he or she is, is awesome at, at this or that sport. But please, please take note that in Genesis chapter 28, verse 17, the great patriarch Jacob is declaring something that is awesome, and it is none other than the house of God and the gate of heaven. And I believe that to be totally awesome. <laughs> okay. All right. So back to Jacob. It is so that later on in his life, Jacob would look back on this vision. And as he does, 
he still realizes the manner in which God signified the special nature of that place. What do we read? If we were to fast forward a little bit, what, what do we read in Genesis chapter 31, verse 13? I think a, a very important verse to our discussion here this evening. I am the God of Bethel, God says to Jacob. Whoa, I am the God of Bethel. Yeah, I am the God of that place that you declare to be Bethel <laughs> because it is the gate of heaven. I am the God of Bethel where you anointed a pillar, where you made a vow to me. Ooh, that's a bit of a chiller, huh? Remember that vow you made to me, Jacob? Remember that vow you made to me, Jacob? Now arise and leave this land and return to the land of your birth. Follow through on your vow. Let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. That's what he's saying there. And as we would later read Genesis chapter 32, verse 6, Jacob, in obedience to this command approached the land of promise. And what happened then? He received a report that Esau, Esau, his good old brother was coming to meet him with 400 men. So Jacob prayed for protection as he went forward. And his prayer was based upon the promise of God in the vision of Bethel. We read in chapter 32, verses 11 to 12, deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me, mother with children. For thou didst say, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Right? So as he prays, he says, hey, remember the great covenant that you have promised. Now, these statements of God and Jacob fit together nicely, especially in the light of the context of the vision, right? Jacob was about to leave the land of promise for a 20-year sojourn in Paran Aram. He might be tempted never to return to this land again. But again, it was by means of this dramatic vision that God impressed upon Jacob the significance of the land that he was in. And what was the significance? Well, it was the place where heaven and earth met. It was the place where God would come down to man and, and where men would find access to God. It was, as Jacob asserted, the gate of heaven. And oh, could we not imagine, my friends, how eagerly the first recipients of this record must have read it. The books of the law were written by Moses and thus must have been completed before his death and before the entrance of Israel into the promised land. What a sense of anticipation the Israelites must have had as, as they looked across the river Jordan knowing that in some special way, in, in one way or another, God's presence was to be revealed in that place. The experience on Mount Sinai surely gave substance to this hope. But here, my friends, we should fast forward because there's a very important verse that comes to us in, in the book of John. In the first chapter of John's gospel, Jesus had invited Philip to follow him. Philip likewise sought out Nathanael, assuring him that he had found the Messiah, that the Messiah was Jesus of Nazareth, as we read in John 1.45. But Nathanael wondered at how the Messiah could come from such a place as Nazareth, this dirty town tucked away in, in the cup of hills off the, all the important roads. What good comes from Nazareth? Nathaniel asks Philip, and Philip responds, and I love it. Come and see. 
come and see. And when Jesus saw Nathanael coming, he identified him as a man in whom is no guile. I love that. In whom is no guile. Jesus indicated that he had seen Nathanael while he was under the fig tree. This was enough to convince Nathanael that Philip was right. Jesus was the Messiah. And oh, our Lord did not stop at this. While commending his belief, he went on to give an even greater revelation concerning himself. What do we read in chapter 1, verse 51? Truly, truly, I say to you. Uh, no, by the way, my friends, in the Hebrew, that is a rumble strip. That tells you to slow down. The truly, truly, or the amen, amen. Truly, truly, I say to you, you shall see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Is that not Genesis chapter 28 and verse 12? And he dreamed that there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Is Jesus himself hearkening back to the angel's ladder, to Jacob's ladder, to Jacob's stairway? You better believe it. You better believe it. The man born in Bethlehem and raised in Nazareth was the ladder itself, the stairway itself. Jesus has become the ladder. He has become the stairway. Jacob saw God above the ladder. Jesus revealed that God is the ladder because ultimately it was Jesus Christ who bridged the gap between heaven and earth. It is through him that God has come down to man. It is through him that man will have access to God. Jacob saw what he needed to see at that moment in his life. Jesus revealed to Nathanael that there was much more to be seen than what Jacob had perceived in his day. That in the end, this stairway was but a prophetic image of Christ who bridges the gap between humanity and divinity. And brothers and sisters, hear that well. What do we read in, in 1 Timothy 2.5? That Jesus Christ is the one perfect mediator between God and man. And don't misinterpret that verse. In our baptism, we share in the ministry of participation. This is why we pray for one another. This is why we go on bended knee for one another. Because we participate in the one mediation of Christ. Why do you say, I will pray for you? You say, I will pray for you because God has endowed you with the grace to have the authority to pray for another person. And that is why in 1 Timothy, just not verse 5, but the preceding verses, verses 1 to 4, is Paul himself asking Timothy to fervently pray for the body of Christ. Our prayers ascend on God's stairway. And as God answers those prayers, those prayers descend on God's stairway. All right, so what more could be said in these closing verses? Well, in, in these closing verses, we have three things going on, I think. Jacob sets up a pillar. Jacob makes a profession of faith. And finally, Jacob makes a promise. Now, the pillar itself serves as a memorial, making the place to which he would return to build an altar and worship God. Okay, this is very important. Memorials are very important because, again, it identifies the place where God 
essentially made his great promise. And for those of you who have had an experience with God, if you're questioning the significance of place and where God might dwell, just ask yourself the question, have you ever been back to the place where you first encountered God and in going back to that place had another profound experience with God? Yeah, that place probably means something to you. I think we have all had one of those experiences with God. And here I might be thinking of that, that initial experience with God where we turned our life over to Jesus Christ. If you were to question the significance of what Jacob is doing here, all you have to do is just to go back to that place. I would dare suggest that when you go back to that place, you're probably, you are probably going to a very specific place because that very specific place in that place, and here I might be talking about a home in a particular town or a church in a particular city. It just wasn't enough to go to a city. You needed to go to the church. Because the church is where you encountered God. The home is where you encountered God. Wherever that specific place was that you encountered God, that is where you go. So Jacob says, I'm going to build a pillar here because I want to remember this specific place where I encountered God. And when I return here, I'm going to offer up a holocaust to God. And oh, by the way, that's going to be on an altar with its four corners (laughs) to remember the covenant that God made with man, that from my descendants, God shall enter into relationship with all men. Amen. Amen. So Jacob also makes a profession of faith. And as the Ignatius commentary notes in regards to the if, Jacob's vow is conditional, right? Suggesting that he is mildly, okay, skeptical of the extraordinary blessings promised to him in the dream. So he thus makes a deal with the Lord to test his faithfulness, right? And this is what we kind of see play out in the subsequent chapters of the book of Genesis. And lastly, of course, the promise. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And and of all that you give me, I will give the tenth to you. So his promise is returning a tenth to God. Now, I know I talked about tithing in relationship to where we see this word tenth with Abraham, and I'm not going to get into all of that right now, but certainly this is part of his promise. A tenth is his follow-through. He's going to show God that he means what he says, and he says what he means. Amen? Amen. All right, let us close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious God, we just give you a special thanks and praise for the gift of this evening, the gift in which we are called to just not reflect with your word, but also praise you. And we praise you with a humble and contrite spirit. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.